Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. 1 Corinthians 8, we're going to be going through uh, 8 through 10 here this evening, uh, all in one message. We will get the, through it and uh, that, but it's a, <clears throat> something this week as I contemplated and tried to figure out what to preach on, because I knew there was going to be a lot of people gone uh, just because of uh, being the Sunday of Labor Day weekend and a lot of things go on, families get together. I didn't really want to go forward too far in the Reflecting Christ series as we go through and look at the one another passages. But uh, what I decided was to come to a passage that displays what we talked about last week. Uh, you went through and we have a list out in the lobby. If you weren't here, there's a list of all the verses that talk about and or the passages that talk about loving one another that it seems to be when you have this uh, reciprocal uh, pronoun that's saying one another, one another, one another, it's, it's most emphasizing the fact that we love one another. And as you look at the scriptures, this is really the chief characteristic of God that is reflected uh, throughout uh, the Bible. He is holy, uh, but he is also a God of love. And you have this statement that God was moved. He was holy. He had to judge our sin, but he was moved to save us. He came at the sacrifice of his own son, uh, selfless uh, son of God who came and died in our place. And, and in that, we then reflect that we're supposed to love one another as First uh, John tells us that uh, we love God not because we loved him, but he loved us. And uh, that's why we love him. But as it applies to the one another when it comes to the church, and it's not that we just love people that are in the church and not anybody outside, but it's uh, the emphasis being of the one another being in the church body, that uh, we have to make decisions and make choices that uh, are based on love in a church congregation. And my thought process went back to a, a series that we were going through in 1 Corinthians about the time of all the things going on with COVID. And ever an occasion there was to say, okay, I love my brother and sister in Christ. You had some people in the congregation that were not for masks at all. You know, no masks ever and anywhere in that. And you had others that were, because we still really didn't understand what was going on initially, uh, were like, well, we need to wear masks. And we came to this passage about that time frame. About what do we do with a situation that is doubtful in some cases. And what 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 is dealing with a doubtful thing. Not sure what to do in a situation like this. And you go, well, what's the issue that the Apostle Paul deals with? Because 1 Corinthians is answering a series of questions. It seems like that the people that you know, sent letters to Paul uh, before he wrote the letter to Corinth had a series of things that they wanted answered. And the Apostle Paul is answering the, the question. And the question seems to be, is it lawful or is it okay for people to eat meat that's been offered to idols? Now, for us, that, that is not an issue, which, uh, you know, you think about this, should I eat meat offered to idols? Now, if we were in a different country, 
You know, we were in a country like India or someplace like that where they still have temples and they have sacrifices to animals and the like. That, that could be a, a, a viable real-life question. Is it okay to eat meat offered to idols? Which then makes this an ideal case because for us looking at this, there is no emotions on the issue. You know, we're not coming to a situation in 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 and go, huh, I've got an opinion on this one. I'm going to take this side up. We, 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 we don't have that. And so for us, 2,000 years later, it's a great issue to talk about. And how do we as believers deal with uh, the issues that are, and we would say this, doubtful, not sure about, not a, you know, there's a variation of opinions. How do we respond to this? And the Apostle Paul starts this whole argument off in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 that there's got to be a balance of two things. You read verse 1, it says this, As things, touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity, I'm going to say this, love edifieth. If any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the things, uh, eating the things offered to idols uh, or in sacrifice to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. There is none other God but one. For though there be the, that are called gods, whether in heaven and earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him and our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. He says from the beginning, when you come to a situation where you have to make a decision about doing something or being a part of something, there's a balance between two things. Knowledge and he's going to deal with this in the second part of 1 Corinthians 8, and love. See, what Paul recognized is that there were people in the congregation that had their theology right. I mean, when it came to offering meat to idols, they're going, an idol's nothing. It's just a piece of metal. It's a, a stone, uh, and it's this, and it's, it's nothing. There's only one God. There isn't a bunch of gods. There's only one. Uh, and so for us to eat meat offered to idols, an idol's nothing. It didn't have any effect when the meat went before the idol and sacrifice because the idol's nothing. Uh, it was just that it got cooked in a good big gar bar barbecue grill uh, and has been passed off to the marketplace to be sold. And so there were people that had knowledge of what the Scripture said. They were, you know, accurate that idols nothing. There's only one God. Problem was, is that you had people that were saved that did not have that kind of knowledge. They had a knowledge that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, and they were happy for that uh, and understood that truth. But when it came to a lot of other things, they hadn't had all of the knowledge given to them. So what happens is what you find in verse number uh, 7, the Apostle Paul acknowledges, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled 
But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. Now here, what you have is a, the, the statement is that you had some people in that congregation that they really had a serious feeling about the fact of meat offered to idols. They had grown up in this environment. They had lived for this. This is a regular part of their life that they would go to the temple with family and offer these things. And for them, there's still an element that there's something wrong with this now. They remember all of the things that were attached to that. And for them, it's an issue of conscience. Now the question comes, what is our conscience? Romans chapter 2 gives us the statement that we have the law written in our hearts, but then our conscience does this. It accuses or excuses us. This is what your conscience does, is that it says, and it's like the alarm bell that goes, this isn't right. Or at times it doesn't go off and you're like, okay, it's all right. This is an okay thing. It's, it's the alarm in your head that basically tells you and warns you that something's right or wrong. And it's a gift from God. Now the problem is, is that we have a flesh and history and a past that does shape that alarm bell. We can at times sear our conscience. You know, what do you mean? You do something over and over again so, uh, so much so that the alarm bell doesn't go off anymore. Remember the illustration, uh, I had a girl that we, uh, was in our high school class and she worked at Old Country Buffet. And she uh, had to work the line there at Old Country Buffet as far as taking stuff out and putting stuff in. And of course, they had the pans that were there and they sit on the tray, but they're above the water that's boiling underneath and, and that kept the food warm. Well, she got to the point where working, she so often at times didn't get the gloves on that she would pick that, the, the pan up, exchange it for something else, pull the pan out that was ready to go in there and put it in there to the point where she could not feel things with the tips of her finger anymore. She had so burned those alarms in her finger, the nerves that were there, that she could not feel hot items, couldn't feel sharp, you know, pointed uh, pins and that type of thing because she had calloused, I don't know, so you might say cauterized uh, her fingers by working there. We have that internally in us, a, a, a system that is one that warns us that something's not right, something's wrong, and we can actually warp it, sear it, but by the grace of God, what happens is that when we get saved, God works on our conscience and we begin to become sensitive to some things that we weren't sensitive to. And we become less sensitive to those things that we might have been at one time. But it doesn't happen instantaneously. Now, some things it does. But your conscience uh, is something that is a gift from God that, that warns you, but it's something that has to at times be developed and corrected 
So you have an individual who's, who's thinking, can I go down to the marketplace and eat meat that's been offered to idols? And one person goes, no problem with this. They grab it. And the other person watches them do this and goes, boy, you can eat meat offered to idols, but, but idols are bad. Sacrifices to idols are bad. All of these things are bad, and they're eating meat that has been offered in sacrifice to these gods. They must be kind of okay with that. I can be okay with it, even though their conscience is saying to them, don't do it. Now you go, well, that's those people's fault. This weak brother, which is it's kind of interesting, they're called the weaker brother, but they're the ones with the stronger conscience on an issue. You, know, you go weak, and then it just indicates the fact that, you know, weak, they're, they're uh, someone who is ill and, and not quite as strong as others. No, it's just the fact that they're weak because they have a stronger conscience about certain things. That as believers, even though we may have knowledge about something, there is a balance that we have to do, and it's love for somebody else that I won't do something that might cause them to stumble right out of the christian faith that i'm going to hurt and offend their conscience i'm not going to intentionally do that this is what the apostle paul deals with at the end of verses um verse 10 he says this for if any man sees thee which hath knowledge sit at meat in an idle temple shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom christ died but when ye so sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience ye sin against christ wherefore if meat make my brother to offend i will eat no flesh while the world standeth lest i make my brother to offend paul paul goes i'm willing to give this up and we would use a different word for this not just give it up this is a sacrifice I'm willing to sacrifice, I'm willing to be selfless for the sake of that person that we don't hurt and damage their conscience. You go, that's an illustration of loving one another. That I am actually concerned that I don't hurt the conscience, that I don't give permission for that person in their mind to okay sin. I'm willing to set aside different things that way. So you have this issue right from the beginning. There's love, there's knowledge. It has to be in balance. But you get to chapter 9, and we're not going to spend too much time on this, but in chapter 9, what you have is just simply this, is that the Apostle Paul says, listen, I have rights. You know, we as Americans, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, we, we've got this ingrained in our, into our uh, American DNA conscience that we have rights and that you get to fight for these things. And if anybody treads on those rights, then they're the enemy. You know, like the British, you know, forcing us to take taxes on our tea and whatever else. And we'll fight against that. That's just part of the American way. The Apostle Paul recognizes he has certain rights. He goes through and talks about, in, in 1 Corinthians 9, some of the rights that he has. You see in um, 
verse 1, he says this, Am I not apostle? I'm not free. Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are ye not my work in the Lord? I mean, haven't I done some impressive things? You know, I've been able to see the Lord, trained by Him. I mean, these are, these are interesting things. And he says this, verse 4, Have we not power to eat and to drink? I mean, he's basically saying, do we not have the right to eat meat, perhaps offered to idols, because they're not a real thing? The answer is meow. Uh, do we not, in verse 5, have the power to lead about a sister or wife as well as other apostles, as the brethren of the Lord uh, and Cephas? Paul goes, we have a right to have a wife. Cephas, which we would know him as Peter, he has a wife. The brothers of the Lord, James and Jude, they have wives. And the Apostle Paul goes, I have a right to have a wife. But as you go along, you see verse 6, I only, or Barnabas, could he not do this? Or how about this? Or I and only Barnabas, have not we the power to forbear working? Could we not work? You go, why would they not work? Because there would be an expected pay from the church. You know, the, 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 those that teach and preach, First Corinthians or Timothy 5, makes very clear that they're worthy of double honor. The idea is that there is a payback for what they've given in service to you. Paul says, do we not have a right not to have to work? Or you just kind of go through and uh, he has these different arguments. Uh, don't you expect to get things from the stuff that you work on? And he, he uses the passage to describe a pastor like an ox. You know, don't, tr don't muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. And he's talking about a pastor there. You know, they expect to get paid. He goes through all of these things and says, I have rights. I have the right to expect to get paid for my service to the church. I have the right to have a wife. I have a right to do these things. But then he says this, but I choose not to exercise them. The main thing that he's going to talk about is that when he came to Corinth, he chose not to get paid from them, but to work as a what? Remember what he worked as? A tent maker. And you go, why? Because he said this, I knew that if I exercised that right, there would be some in the congregation that would say, we made him rich. We made him wealthy. We took care of him. And as such, we have a right to tell him what to do. I mean, this is what's going to happen in the letters in First and Second Corinthians. There's going to be people there that are going to be telling Paul, you shouldn't be doing things this way. And we, you know, and the, the argument just goes on and on. You ought to be doing things differently. And what Paul has said, I have a right to expect pay from the church at Corinth, but I decided not to take it. I decided to work for myself. So I was not beholden to the church in the sense of uh, changing perhaps my message to go along with what the popular opinion was in the church at the time. And sometimes what happens as believers is that we're going to have to waive rights that we have for the sake of loving others in the congregation. Now, that doesn't always mean that you have to have those things given up because at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul starts making statements that sounds like he just does whatever he wants. But there's a very careful thinking through on the Apostle Paul's ministry. Because as you look at what he says... 
in verse number 19, he says this, for though I be free from all men, you know, I can do whatever I want. I've got rights, God-given rights in the scripture. Yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. What he says is this, as I become a slave to other people, in order to possibly win them, not only to Christ, but win them in their understanding of the gospel and everything that goes along with it, says the preacher. And then he makes this statement in verse number 20. And under the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law to them that are without the law as without the law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that, might, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. So what he's simply saying is this, I go in and deal with different people differently for the sake of the gospel. To the Jews, understand this, the Apostle Paul, you know, my standard thing, when I go home on a Sunday night, is to have pizza. And typically either it has pepperoni or sausage on that. If I was having somebody over of Jewish background or Jewish descent or Arabic descent background, I would not be having pepperoni pizza with them. I wouldn't be having sausage pizza with them. You go, well, you've got the right. Remember Acts chapter 10, the Lord said, rise, kill, eat. You get to eat whatever you want. Okay, I understand that. But I will not have a hearing of the gospel with an individual like that if I come in and immediately offend their conscience. And so it is when you come to different cultures, there may be things that you lay aside uh, that you go, well, I got a right to do this, but I understand this could be extremely offensive to them. So I'm willing to be a slave to them, which is going along with that term love again. It's selfless, it's sacrificial, it's serving. So I'm willing to go, okay, I'm willing to work with these people where they're at and their understanding and what their conscience is dealing with so that I can give them the gospel. Now, some will take this passage and as I become all things to all men and that means I get to do whatever I want and I can, you know, that. And the Apostle Paul goes, that's not what I'm meaning. Because if I'm so careless and carefree in the way that I'm thinking about how I do decisions and how I deal with other people, I can myself be disqualified. I can hurt myself if I'm so casual in the way that I think about others and how I affect others, and, and that I'm just kind of casual in this. And this is where we get to in chapter 9 and verse 24, these illustrations of athletic events. Corinth would have been familiar with this. They ran uh, what we would call Olympic-style games every four years. So they were familiar with the athletic things. And the Apostle Paul uses that terminology to simply say, I am concerned about other people's rights, but I'm not carefree in how I deal with others. Because i got to be aware of myself that I myself could be one who falls. 
And you see this in verse number 24. Know ye that uh, they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, we an incorruptible I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. We would say shadow boxing. But I keep uh, under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. See, what happens when we start dealing with other people and we go, well, wait a second, I'm not going to do this because I know it might hurt their conscience and offend them, that there is a pride that starts to build up in yourself and you begin to go, well, I'm okay, I'm all right, there's no problems with me. And the Apostle Paul goes, well, I have to remind myself, I have to keep my body in subjection. I have to basically box my own body and go i am not going to give myself over to the flesh because i have a sin nature also i mean i may be looking at how i can help others and go you know i don't want them to fall in the sin or whatever but i got to be conscious of that very fact that i can do the very same thing that i can run outside the lines is what he talks about that you you strive worthily you're not going outside the boundary lines of that racetrack that they would have had I, as a believer, have to beware and keep myself under so that I don't do things that are wrong and then ruin the testimony of Jesus Christ because of my sin. Not just bad choices in the sense of I'm offending what their sensibilities might be. I just out and out sin. And the illustrations in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 are multiple about people who were casual about the fact that they had gifts from God and they had knowledge of God in this, and yet they became castaways. You have repeated illustrations of the nation of Israel in, in 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 through 5 of all the blessings they had. They had all sorts of blessings. They were this, uh, as you see in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I would that you should not be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea and were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, did eat the same spiritual meat. You go, what's that? They ate manna. And did drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. I mean, they had all sorts of blessings. They had water supplied to them. They had food supplied to them. And ultimately, they were tasting of God. They were able to taste and see that He was good. But here's the problem. You start in verse number 5. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And you go through all the things they start doing. These are people who are, you know, have knowledge of God have a knowledge of his things. They're ones that heard the Ten Commandments given to them audibly from God. And yet here you have in verse number 6, these things for our examples, the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as some of them were, as it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. It's talking about the golden calf there. Verse 8, let us not commit fornication as some of them committed and fell one day three and 20,000. This is Balaam convincing the people that it's okay to worship false gods. And part of that would have been to commit fornication. Or verse 9, neither let us tempt Christ as some of them tempted, uh, also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. 
Remember, they come to Moses and go, we would love to be back in Egypt. It was such a great place. And you brought us out to this wilderness. And God sent fiery serpents there. Verse 10, neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed to the destroyer. You know, why do we have passages of Scripture in the Old Testament like we have? Well, verse number 11, now all these things happened unto them for examples and they are written for our admonition. They're a challenge to us, a reminder that we can fall just like they do, did. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, verse 12, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You know, there are times where we go around and you go, okay, that person's got a weak conscience. All right, I'll, you know, I'll be the, the strong Christian here and give up certain things. And there's a pride factor that sneaks into this. And then we get to a point where, you know, we're doing better than other people are. And we forget our own sinful nature. And the passage here is not just simply saying it's going to happen to you. No, it doesn't necessarily have to happen to you that you fall into sin because verse 13 is a statement about our God, not about us. God is faithful. Okay, you're going to find this in the middle there. There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also may make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. You know, any temptation or any sin that you face, there's an escape. Always. You don't have to sin. You know, there's some that would say, and years ago it used to be a trite joke, is the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't really have to make you do it. He just gave you a good push because it was your natural inclination to sin. It's all he had to do. You were headed that way. But with every temptation to sin, if we're looking for it, we don't have to sin. And the problem for us is that sometimes as we're going along and working with other people and, and serving them and being selfless towards them and working with them, we forget our own sinfulness and we ignore the fact as we enter into temptation that, wait a second, there's a way to escape. We think we're strong enough to handle it and that it'll be okay for us and we go right into the sin and fall because we didn't pay attention to the fact that with every temptation, God has a way of you not having to sin. So you get to that, and the Apostle Paul, you go, well, what does this have to do with eating meat to idols? Well, he finally gets to this at the end of everything. He finally gets to the whole situation itself. And what he begins to do is this, is that he says simply this, as we go and we're serving others and we're trying to make decisions on whether or not we should do certain things, and sometimes we're going to have to sacrifice our rights and be selfless towards others and, and work with people who might have weaker consciences or stronger consciences, might be the weaker brother or sister. That as you look through this, the, the, the Apostle Paul in verses 14 through 22, of 1 Corinthians 10, just simply says there are certain truths that a believer should do or should understand before they use their Christian liberty. They use their rights. And he gives some illustrations. Uh, Verses 16 through 17, he just simply says this, participation in the Lord's Supper unifies the believer with Christ. We had the, this this morning, and what, we were do, what was part of what we were doing this morning is that we were identifying with Christ. Even though it's just, you know, we're, we're having something that's a memorial, juice, bread, 
But there is a unifying with this. And then he says this, think about the Old Testament sacrifices. When people came and they participated in those sacrifices, they put their hands on the animals. Some of you heard about this in Sunday school this morning, ladies class. You know, the hands put on that animal and you were identifying with that animal and then it would be sacrificed. And sometimes you got to eat a meal along with that. Well, what you were showing is that you were unified with that sacrifice, identifying with that sacrifice. So then the, the reasoned argument that the Apostle Paul has is he goes, well, wait a second. If you're eating stuff that's been offered to idols, it could be assumed that you're just going along with that that's okay and you're identifying with that idol as it being okay i mean he goes back to the beginning he goes you know we know idols are nothing but understand this there is a power behind those idols i mean what's the dread and the fear that goes on uh in some of these cultures with these idols where does it come from and i would argue the fact that it comes from devils demons that are empowering this behind the scenes that are making these people panicked and frightened by what goes on and the apostle paul goes so if you're just going to carelessly go and say i can eat meat offered to idols and just casually go it doesn't really matter who cares beware of the fact that you eat meals that identify you with certain things the lord's supper Old Testament Jews would have had the sacrifice they would have participated in. So that's something for you to consider. But then he goes and says, okay, let me give you three situations. And he gets really specific. He says, okay, let's just get right down to this. Is it okay to eat meat offered to idols? And you go through and you find out as you get into verse number 26 or 25 and 26, he says, what if you're going through the marketplace and you see meat there and it's on sale, you know, ground beef, 99 cents a pound, and you're going, yeah, I haven't seen those prices in a long time. Uh, you know what? I'm going to buy this meat. Is it okay for you just to buy the meat? The answer is yes. Okay. Don't ask if it was offered in idols or somebody had extra animals on their property and they killed it off. Just buy the meat. There's nothing moral about the meat. But what happens if you go over to somebody's house and they have a fancy uh, prime rib for you to sit down and eat and you're there with them. And in this case, it's not, uh, it seems to be perhaps someone who's maybe unsaved but you sit down to eat meat with them? The Apostle Paul goes, don't ask whether that meat has been offered to idols or not. Just enjoy the meat. They're not bringing it up as an issue. You go ahead and enjoy the meat. But the real situation that happens that is the difficult one in verses 28 to 30, you see this. But if any man say unto you, as you're at his house, this is offered and sacrificed unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? And he just simply says this. If the person goes, hey, 
I went down to the marketplace today and behind uh, the temple to uh, Artemis, they had this wonderful stall there and they had this great sale on meat. I got there just in time for it and it was stuff that was fresh off uh, the sacrificial grill and uh, I was able to pick this up uh, from the temple of... Now, for that person, that's really impressive to them because they look, look, we got this from, you know, it's been, it's been honored by this. God by being sacrificed to it and and for them it's something the apostle Paul says don't eat it now it would be really nice if the apostle Paul could have just said can you eat meat offered to idols yes or no but there's a lot of things in our Christian life as we deal with one another that it's not as clear-cut should I do this or should I not? Will this, will this cause a brother or sister in Christ to stumble? Will it cause somebody to give a low opinion of the gospel? I may have certain rights and privileges that I know from the Scripture, but for love's sake, love for that person, I am willing to give up certain things. As Paul said, I'd be willing to give up meat to keep my brother from falling until the world doesn't stand anymore, I'd be willing to do that. You say, well, that takes a lot of love to be willing to do that. But the Apostle Paul says, I'm willing to do it even though I have all sorts of rights for the sake of somebody else. And you get to the end of this uh, passage, and for us, we, we quote this uh, verse, and we don't remember what the context is. But 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, do all to the glory of God. Well, it's in the context of, is it okay to eat meat offered to idols or not? Well, the ultimate thing is this, what will make God be seen? That's what it means by the glory of God. What will, what will people see as a result of this? Are they going to have a clouded vision of who God is? Are they going to have a clouded vision of what He's like, what He allows, what is okay, what's not okay? Are they going to have a clouded vision on that? Well, even with the decisions of what I'm going to have on my table for food and what I'm going to possibly drink, there is this consideration, am I going to cloud people's vision of what my God's like. Because that's the most important thing. It's not that I'm seen. In fact, I'm just the vessel through whom people ought to be seen or ought to be able to see God that He ought to receive the glory. And I find this an incredible statement at the end in verse 1, which is the end of the whole argument in 1 Corinthians 8-10. through Paul says this, Be ye followers or imitators of Me, even also as I am of Christ." He's saying, I'm, I'm a follower of Christ and I have His mind. I'm selfless as much as I can possibly be. be uh, selfless and sacrificing and loving as He is. And you ought to imitate me as I'm imitating Christ. You ought to imitate Christ and His love and your reflections and dealings with others. Now, the, the reason that we have that sheet that is there in front of you i've kind of gone through all the technical issues of first corinthians 8 through 10 but uh this chart uh came through uh, I, I had it given to me by somebody who was an intern i uh, hear years and years and years ago uh but they found it in a book and 
it's just simply a flow chart for us to decide whether or not I have a right to do certain things. And I like it because I go through this in my own head and just kind of go through and go, okay, is it okay for me to do this? And the first thing is this, uh, does the Bible allow it? If the Bible clearly does not allow it, then do I have a right to do it? The answer is don't do it. Okay, don't do it. Now, is it okay for me to lie? No, the scripture says not to. Okay, don't do it. And that's kind of a clear-cut thing, but it's, you know, the, the points where you get to modern society, it's like, well, the Bible doesn't talk about such and such. You're like, they didn't have that back in that day. You know, computer technology and the internet and, you know, all of this other stuff. They didn't have that. But there are very clear things in the scripture that you just look at and God says, don't do it. You know, God doesn't allow for it. But if, if what you're thinking about doing passes that test, it's not forbidden in the scripture. You come down to the second thing and it's this, does my conscience allow it? Now, you may go, well, my conscience on an issue is different than somebody else on an issue. Well, here's the thing. Don't go against your conscience. Now, this is not to say that in, in studying a scripture and in looking at the Christian life, that your conscience may change. Your understanding changes, so your conscience changes. But if you have an issue that you say, I can't do that, don't go against your conscience. You go, why? Because you're going to, as we talked about that, that girl, you're going to desensitize that tool that God has given you to warn you about falling into sin and you have an issue where you just kind of carelessly go over your conscience, well, you have desensitized it to do its work. So don't go against your conscience. And so if I get past, does the Bible allow it? Yes. And does my conscience say this is okay? There are three other issues that you have to balance what and why you do certain things. And the first thing is this, is that what effect, here's the question I ask, what effect is this going to have on other Christians? And the statement underneath it is that love is more important than knowledge. I mean, that's what Apostle Paul opens up with in 1 Corinthians 8, that I love those individuals. It's not my knowledge that's the most important thing. It's my love for the other ones. I balance it. But that ought to be a consideration. You go, well, you know, they, they have a certain, you know, understanding of something and I don't quite agree with it. Okay, but is it something that you can give up for the sake of that person so it doesn't destroy their conscience and have them trip to their own destruction uh, from the faith? And so that ought to be the first question we have as we look around uh, and deal with other people. I, I'm not going to be doing things that offend other people in the body of Christ. I'm going to go, you know, I may disagree with them on this, but I'm not going to make it an issue. In fact, I'm not, you know, we're, we're not even going to discuss that or go there with that person because I don't want them to be hurt in their conscience. So 
What's the effect on other Christians? That love is more important than knowledge. Or is this, what's the effect on non-Christians? That's that whole story. You go over to somebody's unsaved person's house and they go, okay, glad to have you over here for a meal. Okay, Do you realize it's okay to have meals with unsaved people? Okay, Sometimes as Christians we go, I'm not supposed to eat with unsaved people. That's 1 Corinthians 5 where you have a person who claims to be a Christian and is acting like the world and refuses to change that you're not supposed to sit down and eat meat with them. But there's no worries. You think about the gospel, uh, the gospels, the four gospels. You have Jesus eating with sinners all the time. He's connecting with them. So, you know, there are things where we we cross over into the lives of unbelievers, and for them, they have a certain conscience about something. Understand this: that the gospel is more important than my rights. That people see the good news of jesus christ rather than me flaunting what i have as far as freedom in christ sometimes don't flaunt that freedom because it will affect the way that they think about you but the third question is pretty important too what is the effect on my spiritual life if i go ahead and do this is it going to harm my spiritual growth my spiritual life it may it may be a good thing that i have a right to but if i indulge in this it's going to cause me to fall and for this the spiritual health is more important than your freedom and then ultimately as you get done with this that big old bold statement at the bottom do all to the glory of god you want to do things so that god is clearly not cloudily seen, clearly seen by those that are around you. And so it does play a role as we have talked about the fact of loving one another. uh, One of the aspects of decision-making is that I'm going to be willing to sacrifice, be selfless. I may understand an issue a certain way, but for the sake of reaching that person, I'm not going to do certain things. And you saw this in the ministry of, uh, in the book of Acts, you have certain times where the apostles are working with Jews and uh, Gentiles. Acts 15 is a very clear thing where it just simply says uh, to these new Gentiles, they said uh, in their issuing of a statement, do believers that are Gentiles have to take up Jewish customs and lifestyle? And the answer is no, you don't. But for the sake of reaching Jews... Don't eat things that are offered to idols. I mean, that was one of the things. Don't do that because they're going to be upset by this and you're going to have no saying or no hearing with them. Uh, So don't do that. Even though you have a right right now, you're wanting to reach the Jews, don't do these things. And they had four different things there from the Jerusalem Council that just said, we're we're telling you, you don't have to do anything else to be saved. But for you reaching Jews as Gentiles don't do these things even though you have no conscience about them and you look at the scripture and realize i'm free to do this and uh this don't do them for the sake of reaching the jews and so you had uh, even in the the gospel ministry going out in the book of acts and the churches uh multiplying and and churches growing with believers of different uh, nationalities jews and gentiles there was still even discussions of what might i give up for the sake of a different believer in the congregation or out in the world as far as an unsaved person i'm going to have to sacrifice 
be selfless. Display a love that gives up rights at times for the sake of the gospel. So uh, that chart, I, I, I like that chart. It's one that you ought to have readily available for you as you just think through things in life. You know, should I do this or should I not? And uh, go through a process of decision-making like that. And some of the decisions will be based on the fact that you just love the other person and are willing to sacrifice some things in order for them to clearly see your God and your Savior. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 8-10 through dealing with a very complicated subject but yet laying out for us that it is important uh, the decisions we make about what we do, what we participate in, it does have effect on other people and that we need to consider them and at times be willing to sacrifice, be selfless, to show a love for the sake of that other person growing in their knowledge of you and growing in a knowledge of your son. So help us in this. It's, it's a not a clearly defined issue in some ways uh, as we would like it to be, but when we'd have people coming from all sorts of different backgrounds and cultures and, and societal ideas that uh, we sometimes have to realize in dealing with one another that we're just going to have to deal with one another sacrificially, selflessly in order for us to be able to minister to one another more effectively. So may we be willing to do that. Our flesh cries against that because we want our rights, but may we be willing to sacrifice for others in love. And this we pray in the name of your Son. Amen.